Welcome to the Hills Baptist Podcast. We're so glad you're joining us as we see Jesus glorified, lives transformed and hope revealed in the Adelaide Hills and beyond. We hope you enjoy this message. Not actually the camp nurse. Um, my name's Luke. I'm the, the young adults pastor. Um, if you haven't met me yet, hello. Oh, that's nice. <laughs> um, and uh, camp's going to be good. It's going to be real good. Um, so let's get into it. Um, the reason I asked you about if you've been on a hike is because earlier today I was remembering, I used to take these groups of, so I put this, uh, challenging teenage boys, I'll, put, I'll, I'll frame them in that light, um, on these hikes. Um, we didn't always, we did other things as well, but like there was one kind of particular incident on a hike that I remembered. So with, with going on these hikes, we would give them a very clear list of things to bring and to wear. Um, and that if they didn't have those things, that was fine. They'd let us know and we would, we would get those things for them. Anyway, we're going on this hike. And it's in the Flinders Ranges, mind you. We're going up very um, dry, hot Hills, we're carrying everything, water, shelter, food, the whole lot on our backs for a few days. And this one kid, he gets on the bus, we're on our way, and I look at his feet and he's wearing thongs. (laughs) And I was like, mate, is that what you're hiking in? He's like, oh, no, no, don't worry, I have shoes. I was like, okay, phew. And he gets there and he gets out his shoes and they're, you know those really just really bulky, cushioned skate shoes, like Globes from 2003. Yeah, that's what he had. (laughs) That was his hiking boot. And so he starts hiking in those boots. Um, And sure enough, by the end of the day, he's in tears. He's got blisters. He's having a terrible time. Um, And then there's these other kids on this hike and, um, and they're having a bad time too because um, they're trying to walk up these slopes that are, I mean, it felt like it was like that. It was probably like this. But these slopes, but they're long. They go for a long time. You're walking on them for ages and you, it, it wears you down. And these boys have got, because they're teenagers, they've got their hiking sort of big knapsacks on. But instead of wearing them up high, they're wearing them like on their butts or even lower. <laughs> so they're like... You know how high schools wear bags really low? Yeah, so they're doing that with with like a a 15-kilogram hiking pack um, and it's like killing their backs and they're like like bent over backwards or they're like trying to get up a hill and they're like walking along like this. And I was thinking about that this morning because we're talking about walking the walk this weekend and there was a couple of things and I thought like, first of all, the way we walk matters. When those boys realised that lifting up the knapsack and putting it up the top and wearing it properly worked, they're all doing it. and then they're like, oh, this is great. Like, why didn't you tell us? I was like, we did. But the posture in which they walk changed because they could walk upright instead of hunched over, which meant they could walk more easily, right? So the way they walked mattered. For this other kid, he unfortunately had a terrible time in his globes. He looked great, but his feet didn't and um and what we the what like what we walk in matters as well so tonight we're going to talk about 
the way we walk, the posture of our walk with Christ. And we're going to talk about what we walk in, in our walk with Christ. Now, we're picking up in the middle of the book of Ephesians. And if you haven't been, thanks, Nick, that's great. It's actually really nice to see you all. Um, If you haven't been journeying with us, we've been looking at the book of Ephesians. And I'll give you like my very brief Ephesians 1 to 3 summary, and then we can land in Ephesians 4 and start camp. So in Ephesians 1 to 3, Paul, who's writing Ephesians, he's writing it to a church in a city called Ephesus. Um, He presents the gospel story, which in in essence is this. You were dead in your sins, but God, being rich in mercy, has made you alive in Christ. So you were dead, now you're alive. Not only are you alive, but you're brought into a family, a household of faith. So you're made alive, but you're also given a place to belong. And part of being in that place of belonging is having things to do. And so Paul presents this idea that when you are a Christian, you then have good works to do. And the order here is important. You don't do good works to become a Christian. You do good works when you are a Christian not out of compulsion, not to earn anything, not to counter the balance between the good and the bad, but because something happens in your heart when you are made alive and it makes you want to do good works. And so Paul reiterates several times, he's writing to the Gentiles, which is basically everyone who's not a Jew, which is, I assume, most, if not all of us here, that we who were once far off, a long way away from the people of God, have now been brought near. So we were far off, but now we are near. And part of that, he says, is that we've been sealed with the Holy Spirit. So if you are a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit in you. He's with you. He is in you. And sometimes he will come upon you as well but he is in you. So that is, that is just the Holy Spirit is in you as a Christian. And Paul emphasizes as well that his mission was to share the good news with the people that hadn't heard it, with the Gentiles. And he, through Paul, Jesus invites us to share in that mission as well, to spread the gospel. So that's kind of where Ephesians 1 to 3 leads us. And he finishes with this prayer for the Ephesians. I'm going to pray that now for us because it's a great prayer. It's a prayer that you would know how much God loves you. So of all the things he could have prayed for a first century church that was facing hardship and persecution and challenge, he didn't pray for protection. He didn't pray for strength. He didn't pray for anything other than that they would know how much God loves them. And if you don't take anything else out of this weekend, my prayer is that you would know how much God loves you. So let's pray that prayer. It says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long, and high, and deep 
is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Amen. So tonight is our first, um, our first little installment from Ephesians 4. We're only going to look at four verses. Um, five, sorry, six verses. Lee, come and read for us. Awesome. Ephesians. The wind got it. I know where we are. Cool. Awesome. (laughs) Ephesians chapter (laughs) 4. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Thank you. Awesome. So tonight's message, um, it's probably at the top of your notes, but it's called Walk in Unity. I was looking up, um, I was doing a bit of research and was kind of prompted by one of my friends around this that um, there's a lot of really lonely people in Australia. So according to some, this is Australian data, um, the average adult woman, and they classified that as 30 to 65 years old, um, has between three and five friends. So that's, that's good and decent, I guess. The way they classified a friend is someone that you would call if you were in trouble. So someone that you could like rely on to like, you know, bail you out or pick you up or get your kids from school because something's happened or like take you to the hospital or cook you a meal, just like that kind of thing. The average Australian man has between zero and one friends. And over a quarter of adult men in Australia have what they would classify as zero friends. So we have a problem. We have a a community problem. We have this issue where for some reason, well, I mean, we can probably imagine, you know, based on stereotypical masculine and feminine traits, but for some reason we have this situation where there are lonely men everywhere. But also, on average, if a woman has three to five, that means some people have a lot more and some people have a lot less. So this is not just a a male problem. This is a problem. Community matters. Friendship matters. And the reason this is important to us as Christians is because they weren't secular stats. They were just stats. So that could represent the church. It could represent us here and one of the problems that I think we have is we live in a world that divides 
We live in a culture that is about tribalism and separating us out into camps and groups and not actually unifying us. But what Paul writes in Ephesians and what Jesus did through the gospel is a work of unity. It's a work of bringing people that were far near. It's a work of bringing lonely people into a home. And the way we walk in that matters. So I'm starting camp there because we have an opportunity, a rare opportunity to actually retreat a bit from what everything else that's happening in the world and spend time together investing deeply in relationship. So make it your priority, make it your prerogative this weekend to connect and to connect well. May it not be that the church is a place of lonely people. Amen? Okay. So we're called to unity. So Paul starts off, he says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you have been called. So Paul's reminding the churches that he's in prison, but he doesn't say, I, Paul, a prisoner of Rome, or I, Paul, a prisoner because of the Jews, or I, Paul, a prisoner for my faith. He says, I, Paul, a prisoner for the Lord. So he believes that whether he's in prison or not, it's for the Lord because God is sovereign. So just we'll start there. Paul has complete faith and complete trust that God has got him where he needs to be, which is bold. (laughs) But he also does that to kind of create an urgency around the message. He's like, I'm in prison, so listen up. (laughs) I'm suffering for this, so pay attention, right? So he says, work... In a worthy, walk in a worthy manner. So what's the calling? The calling based on Ephesians 1 to 3 is to live in unity with one another. It's to be part of the family of faith. It's to receive redemption, adoption, forgiveness. And the call is to be part of the unified church, the unified family of God. So that's the call. And then he says, so he says, okay, so now you have to walk in a worthy way to, to do that. And, um, and how do you do that? Well, what Paul says is he says, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. So how do you walk worthy of the calling you've received with all humility and all gentleness and patience and forbearance? I'm going to pull those things apart. I'm going to unpack those because that's the posture of how we're to walk as a Christian. Now, the word humility in the Bible is probably like, it's probably better understood as lowliness. So, and what that means is to consider and be fully aware of who you are and what you are before God, living in a state of thankfulness because Christ has raised you from death to life. Lowliness is the opposite of entitlement. I'm sure that um, all of us live a very humble life. And we probably think that we do. But I just want you to stop and reflect and consider, what, when was the last time that you pushed for your own rights or something you think you deserved or what you believe is just and fair? 
because the paradigm of this is that we actually deserve nothing, but through Christ we have been given everything. So our only option then is to be humble, to walk in lowliness, to say, God, it's only by your grace that I can do anything. Imagine what a community might look like if people walked with lowliness towards each other, not with a sense of entitlement, not with a sense of what they should have or what they deserve or what their rights are, but rather just lived out of thankfulness for the grace of God. That's a community I'd want to be a part of. The second thing that Paul says is gentleness. And what he's meaning here is it's our attitude towards others and our ability to stick to a common good goal withstanding trouble so it's this idea that we can withstand slight and insult and can cope with being treated badly because we've been transformed in nature like Christ and we don't need to defend ourselves so that's what gentleness is is talking about here the next one is patience and um the word here means a slowness of taking revenge. So it's not like patience, like, oh, I'm going to wait in the line. It's like someone has wronged me and I am going to be slow in my response to that and I'm going to realise that I actually am not the person that can enact justice here because I'm not God. That's what this patience is talking about. And the last one is forbearance, and it's the quality of long-suffering. And what it means is, is bearing with one another in, their, in other people's weakness and in other people's sin. So actually bearing alongside others. And the reason Christ calls us to that is because that is what the Father has done with us. He is slow in his anger and he is slow in his judgment and he is patient with us. And so sometimes, you know, we, we might hear someone talk about, you know, like the, the life that Jesus has given us is one of like power and authority and we get to go and do all these things. But what Paul here is saying is the opposite of that. It is a life of lowliness, of gentleness, of patience, of forbearance. And where do we get that from? Well, we get it from Jesus because with humility, Jesus spent time with the lowest of the low. With great forbearance, Jesus washed the feet of his disciples, even though he knew, A, that they would all run away from him and B, one of them would betray him to his death. And also we get this picture of Jesus who on the cross could have called down the armies of heaven to obliterate those that put him there. But he patiently endured for the joy set before him. And so when we hear something like that, we go, well, how can I do that? Well, we do that because Christ has done it. And it's not us, but Christ in us. And so it's about having this posture in the way that we walk of saying, well, I don't deserve anything. Because without Christ, I'm dead. 
but he's made me alive. And now I have everything and I have to sit in this tension of ultimate thankfulness, not like down in the dumps because I'm, you know, so bad and God is so good, but just thankfulness towards our Father that allows us to then exercise these traits. And this is countercultural because we live in a society that's all about me and it's all about my rights and it's all about what I deserve and what I should get. I've never, like I was a high school teacher. Teenagers are very quick to point out if something's not fair. That's my right. I should be able to jump to the front of the line of the canteen or whatever it is. But Christ calls us to the opposite of that. So this walk, this way of walking is total dependence on God and total denial of self. So that's the, that's the way we walk. So little challenge this weekend. How can I slash you exercise these traits towards others? It's not a, you know, it's not a checklist, but, but have a go. See what happens when you put someone else first. And the second part of this passage is Paul says, well, this is the way that you walk. So that's the way. And then he says, this is what you walk in. And what he does is he highlights these are the things that unite us. And even as Christians, we are often so quick to highlight and point out all the differences that we have, different denominations, different churches, different campuses, different groups within campuses. (laughs) But when we unite over the things that God has given us that are the same, we stand in the face of a divided world and we paint a picture of what Jesus is all about. So he says there's these Six things that I'm going to highlight. So he says, first of all, there is one body and spirit. So we're all part of the one body, which is the church, the global church. So how do we become part of that church? By the one spirit, the Holy Spirit that dwells in and with the believer. Membership of the church is marked by the seal, by the Holy Spirit. And Paul talks about in Galatians, the fruit of the spirit that grows in the life of a believer, of Love, of joy, of peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. And as we grow together as one body with the same spirit, these are the attributes that we should start to expect to see in godly community. The second thing he says is that we have one hope. We have a common hope of which the Holy Spirit is our guarantee. We hope in the resurrection of Jesus. That's, that's our hope, is that Jesus really was the Son of God who came and fulfilled the law and died on the cross and was raised again, defeating the power of death so that we could know the Father. And this is something we don't talk about a lot in churches, but we also hope and know that he is coming back. That is our hope, that our Lord Jesus is coming back and he is coming to restore things to him, to restore the creation, to make things new. All creation awaits that day. So that is our hope. And that is what we as Christians have in common. 
is that common hope. We have one Lord, Jesus. (laughs) And you know you're under Jesus' lordship when God's opinion is the one you care most about. And when you check yourself against the word, that's how you know Jesus is the highest authority in your life. We have one faith, which is a faith in Jesus, that we are saved by grace, through faith, not our works, but by grace alone. We have one baptism. So we share in baptism. So disciples of Jesus get baptized. We're Baptists, so we should like this one. And each of us who is here today, who is baptized, we are baptized into unity together. And Jesus instituted baptism for those that would follow him. And if you're here tonight and you haven't been baptized, that's fine. It's not a requirement for salvation, but it is a sign of salvation. So if you haven't been baptized, then please think about it. Because Jesus tells, it's an instruction from Jesus to be baptized. And in scripture, we see that when people repent, and they receive the Spirit and they turn their life to God, they then get baptised. It's part of the biblical pattern of Christianity. Last year on camp, we had some baptisms, so we can do that again. And the last thing is that we have one God and Father of all. So we find ourselves united because we have the same Father. When I was growing up, me and my brother, we had this game, we didn't name the game, but if I was to call it something, it would be called trampoline chaos. No, that's not enough. Trampoline destruction. There we go. And we used to we used to get on the trampoline, and it was kind of this thing. It was this unwritten rule that once we were on the trampoline, anything goes. And I mean, like anything goes. It's 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 like all right. I'm 15 and I'm angry. Tom. Let's go out to the trampoline. And he's like, I'm, I'm here for this. Let's do it. And it was, it was blows. It was fists. It was blood. Normally when there was blood, we had to go inside. Mum would be like, that's enough. But she would just let us go, like hammer and tongs, right? We loved each other, but we also hated each other because we were brothers. We played footy a lot, right? If someone on the football field came up to one of us, like if someone came up to me and gave me a little push, you can bet that Tom... It's coming over very quickly and he's not giving this guy a gentle push. He's big if anyone's seen him. And likewise, if anyone did something to Tom, I would be over there, right? Head down, knuckles up. Why? <laughs> because, we are, because we're brothers. We have the same father. We're sons of Wayne. <laughs> And in our town, that meant something. (laughs) But the point is this. We have a unity together as brothers and sisters because we have the same father. And if you are adopted into Christianity, if you are adopted into the household of faith, which you are, if you have put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord, then you are a brother or a sister with every other person who has done that. And we share a father. And so while sometimes on the inside, it might look a bit like we're at each other and we're not maybe the best of friends to the world, it is so important that we present a united front. Jesus says that 
the world will know that we are his disciples by our love for one another. So the way that we love matters. What we present to the world matters. It doesn't have to be perfect. I've been utterly shocked a number of times when people from non-Christian backgrounds have come into church and you're sitting there and if you've brought them or you know they're new, you're so, you're so aware, right, of everything that's happening. And you're like, oh, why did the pastor say it like that? That sounds weird. Oh, man, that worship leader can't sing. Oh, my gosh. Ah, why are we doing communion? We're eating Jesus' body. Like, what's that? <laughs> and then they meet Jesus and their whole life changes and none of that stuff mattered anyway. Because the world is looking for hope. Because the world is looking for truth. There's a generation that is told that truth isn't truth. That what you think on the inside is truth, that is so destructive and disorienting for a young person because what they feel and think changes all the time and that gives them no steady compass. But we know the truth. We know the person who is the truth. We know Jesus. And as a family of faith, it is so important that we unite on the things that unite us, that we draw people to our Father because they need Him, right? So tonight, as we kind of finish up this one, we're going to do something very old school, very um, third century even, if you will. We're going we're gonna to read together the, the Apostles' Creed. And it's in your booklet for convenience. We should do that at church, shouldn't we, Nick? <laughs> um, and I'll kind of, I'll explain it. I'll talk about it a bit so that, so that you know what you're saying. But what it is, it's a statement of faith that some of the early church councils developed so that they could say it together to affirm and agree on what we believe together. And as we go through this, if you find that there's things that you're like, oh, I don't know if I agree or I don't know if I can say that, or then I pray that, <laughs> that you are able to. Because these are the tenets, these are the, the, I guess, the foundational truths of the Christian faith. And so these are the things that we can agree on and that we can believe together. And as a sign of our unity and our community, for this camp, we're going to read it together. So it affirms the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Yep. Yes, I am. Don't worry. I'm going through it, Stephen. But I love that. Um, it affirms the virgin birth that Mary, who was a virgin, gave birth to the Christ. It affirms Jesus' death and resurrection, and the fact that he is coming back. It states that Jesus descended into hell, which does not mean the place of those who are eternally damned, but rather the place where the souls of the righteous who lived before Jesus were. That's what that's talking about. And we're not going to go into a deep theology of the Jewish understanding of hell, but if you want to know more, ask Nick Van Ruth. <laughs> And it says that he was raised from that place. As Peter says in Acts 2, God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. So 
He was dead, but he was raised to life. So our God has defeated the power of death for those who believe. And the creed says Jesus will return to judge the living and the dead. The creed states a belief in the lowercase c, Catholic Church, which isn't referring to the capital C, Catholic tradition, denomination, whatever you want to call it. It's referring to what the word Catholic actually means, which is the universal church, the body of Christ. That's what it's talking about there. The communion of saints refers to the church, those who have been joined in Christ. And it also speaks of our forgiveness and our eternal life and hope. So have a, have a quick read, have a ponder, and then we're going to read it together. All right, let's stand and say it together. Now, as we stand, something that's worth thinking about is um, if some of you grew up in churches where you did this all the time, this, it, it, it can feel like a ritual. And if you've never done something like this before, this might feel also a little bit like weird, but what we're doing, when we read these words and we say them, we are agreeing with the church throughout history that has put their trust in Jesus, that has believed in God, and we're agreeing together with them about what we believe. Is that okay? All right. Let's say it. Amen. Curly, do you want to come and lead us? Thanks for listening to the Hills Baptist Podcast. If you'd like to partner with us in developing and equipping passionate disciples who love God, love people, and boldly share the gospel, you can do that at hillsbaptist.com forward slash giving. We pray this message has empowered you to live and love more like Jesus. Have an amazing day.